1: The Smith family are the problems. Let's get rid of the Smith family, or Pastor Jones, just get rid of him, and then we won't have a problem anymore. Well, but that's not the case because we're part of the problem. Trying to help people see that and grasp that is a very difficult thing.
0: He's giving his life to helping churches and individuals overcome conflict. Welcome to First Person in this week's conversation featuring Jim Van Eiperen of Metanoia Ministries. I'm Wayne Shepard and you'll meet Jim, the author of Making Peace, Overcoming Church Conflict, in just a moment. Our program today and each week is made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, whose purpose is to take Christ to the world through radio and now new media. FEBC has a long history of accomplishing this goal in many of the hardest to reach places on earth. Learn more by visiting FirstPersonInterview.com and clicking on the banner for FEBC, the Far East Broadcasting Company, until all have heard. Now, just before we hear from today's guest, let me remind you that this conversation and all of our previous interviews are archived online at FirstPersonInterview.com. Jim Van Ipern has many years of experience helping churches overcome difficulties, but his calling to do what he does was not heeded by Jim until he had some lessons to learn. Let's pick up the story.
1: Yeah, who is Jim Van Ipern? Well, uh, we have a ministry that we uh, work with uh, broken people and broken churches and do uh, reconciliation. So that's a short synopsis of, of what we do. Who I am, um, I'm a follower of Jesus, uh um, a husband, a father of two, and grandfather of nine. Yeah, to stop. I had to stop and count. Stop and count. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's easier for me because we just have one so far. So
1: wow, well, they're great, no matter how many they have. We live in New Hampshire. Uh, have lived and worked out of New Hampshire for thirty years. That's part of our story, actually, of moving there to start our life over, to start our marriage and our and our family over. And it's out of there we received a call to uh, go into ministry and been doing it for now about 25 years, uh, working with churches, and that has taken us to uh, more than 98 churches and 45 different denominations across North America.
0: We'll we'll get into that in just a few moments. When you say we, you're talking about you and your wife, Sharon.
1: Sharon is uh, my partner in life and partner in ministry. Yeah, we've been married now 42 years, or coming on 42 years, yeah.
0: You said you moved to New Hampshire for a new start. Yeah. What was going on?
1: Well, uh, you know, I grew up in a Christian family, uh, grew up in a dysfunctional family, but a Christian family. Went to Wheaton College, uh, which was a tremendous experience for me. Uh, I um, was a Bible major and a communications major. Thought I was going to go into ministry. Uh went to seminary, lasted six months, and left the seminary because clearly in my mind there was something wrong with the seminary. <laughs> and then the Lord— uh, in the oh in the next 10 years after being married and having children and i learned that actually there's something wrong with me <laughs> and uh, so i had to go through a a, a, a kind of a spiritual crisis and uh, had to do with a lot of stuff from my childhood but a lot in my own life and then uh, coming to terms with who i am in christ and what it really meant to believe yeah that must have been hard well it was uh, it, it meant looking at myself uh My uh, sin, my habits of thinking and acting and all the things that I had been formed in what I thought was truth or what I thought was real um, and much of it was. But then also understanding that, you know, it's not quite like I thought and there was more to learn. There was more to grow. There was a lot uh, deeper issues that I needed to confront in my own life in order to uh, to change.
0: You see now that God was using that experience in your life, so that you would understand the process to help others.
1: Yeah, the nature of our ministry is we have to say hard things. In, in, you know, we we come into situations where people are you know at their worst, they're they're at their meanest, they're at their lowest point of their life. And Not in the church, yeah, really? especially in the church somehow. And and so having been there myself, uh, you know, going through. Going through times, part of this 10-year period is I got fired twice, and um, there's more than enough opportunities for me to deal with people who I need to bring a, um, a hard word and, and maybe even suggest they need to take a break from ministry or step down from ministry. And having gone through it myself and understanding that there are a lot of bad ways of doing that and just a few good ways uh, was really preparatory for me to to do what we do.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, as I talk to people about their stories and their testimony, at some point before an effective ministry, there always seems to be some form of brokenness that happens. I mean, you've seen that, right?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I would say, you know, any leader um, who's going to lead in the church uh, or in Christian ministry has to be broken. Uh, I, I wrote a book years ago called The Shepherd Leader, in which I went through... Uh, Scriptures to look at all the men and women that God has raised up to ministry, and every one of them was broken, Mm. including Jesus. Um, You know, you sometimes you're broken by sin. uh, Oftentimes you're broken by life circumstances. Jesus, you know, went through brokenness, uh, suffering. You know, who for the joy set before him uh, endured the cross. There was a brokenness in in the men and women that God calls to serve. And I think that has to be there in order to have the kind of humility on the one hand and courage on the other to address life as it comes because it isn't easy. Hmm. It often doesn't come how we want it to come. And so how do we deal with that when— uh, the circumstances of life turn our lives upside down.
0: And this is first and foremost a spiritual battle.
1: Yeah, what we've come to understand in working, well, first looking in the mirror, and then working with literally hundreds of leaders, and we've conducted over 20,000 interviews of Christians and churches, so we've talked to a lot of people. And what we've come to understand is that when there is sin and when there's conflict in our life, it, it's, a, it's a window into our soul. There's a wound there. There's something that's not been forgiven. Uh, there's an unreconciled matter. There's a shadow of some sort in deep in your soul that God wants to heal, that God wants to bring the, the power of the cross and the in, empowering presence of God's Spirit into the life of the person. But you have to look at it. You have to be able to see it.
0: We think we can cover it up and live with it.
1: No, and most of our life we cover it up either intentionally or unintentionally and that's part of the reason why we come into conflict so often, because God wants this to come out. He wants to heal. He wants to uh, change us, being the new creation he's caused us to, or called us to be. But that is painful. There's, there are difficult things that we need. So we have to look at ourselves truthfully, and that's very difficult to do. Mm. Most of us respond to conflict out of an emotional threat. Of something being threatened in our lives, and th- that's usually something that's unhealed, or 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 yet to be fully broken, or given, or surrendered over to the Lord. And so, the conflicts that are in our, that come in our life are actually um, opportunities to see ourselves more truthfully and see who God is and how He is sovereign over. All them. right, you
0: understand that, you teach that, you counsel <laughs> that, but at one time. You had to learn that.
1: Well, not only one time, but every day. <laughs> okay, uh, right. You know, I, we do seminars and we do a lot of teaching, particularly with younger leaders. And I, and usually sometime during the day, I say, Hey, look, I, I know this stuff, but I still struggle with it. Uh, because this is, this is where, you know, the rubber meets the road. This is life. This is what it means to follow Jesus. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be failure. So, what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. And that's the, so that's the perspective I've had to come. But I still struggle with this stuff as much as anyone else. Yeah. But in the crisis mode,
0: we like to put a timetable on it and say, okay, uh, if I don't come out of this in, in a month, then I'm not going to survive.
1: Yeah. You know, the problem is character formation is really, really slow. The changes that God uh, wants to do in our lives are are not on a time clock. They're not in a you know, in a day or two or a month or whatever. The things, particularly the older we are, and, you know, the longer we've carried this dysfunction, the the longer we've hidden what's in our soul, the, the longer we have refused to forgive, the more time usually that it takes us to say, that was wrong. There's a new perspective.
0: Even to get to that point. Yeah. To realize we need to do something.
1: Yeah, and that's the hard part because... Particularly for Christians, I think we have this Pollyanna view of of the gospel that it's magic almost or it's a superstitious, you know, all I have to do is pray this prayer or do this thing and I'm gonna be well. And it doesn't work that way. You know, God's work in our life is an is, is a lifetime work. It's an yeah. eternal work. It's powerful. Yes. And it's real. And it's
0: spirit led, but sometimes it takes time.
1: And hardship. And feelings that have to be dealt with that you wouldn't want to deal with otherwise. And that's why we call it conflict, because we don't want to go there, and yet we go there because we have to. It's the healing process that has to take place in our souls.
0: Let me take you back to your story, because you said you physically moved to another part of the country. That was part of the healing. Why was that necessary?
1: You know, we were living in New Jersey, and our life was turned upside down. Uh, for a lot of reasons there were we had moved thirteen times in the first ten years of our marriage as I mentioned I got fired twice from two different one I didn't deserve I want to make clear <laughs> and uh, and you know with the small children and dealing with uh, dysfunction in an extended family all of that stuff, uh, was building in me, and and so I was not walking with the Lord, and I went through this period of kind of I'm, I don't want anything to do with this. I it was uh, it, it was not in a good place. Hmm. In fact, I remember that. Um, when we were going through this, Sharon had, was attending church, and I wasn't. She asked me to go to a church and, and actually to talk to the pastor um, before going to the church. And so I went on a Saturday night and went to talk to the pastor, and I confessed my sin, my rebellion, all the things about me, and he just railed on me. Hmm. And so I left, and I, I didn't want to go to church the next morning, because, she, you know, but I had promised Sharon I would. So we went to the church, and in the sermon, the pastor used me as a negative illustration. Oh, no. And uh so I left the church that day, swearing I'll never go to church again. I want nothing to do with Christianity. If this is what it means to follow Jesus, I want nothing part of it. So I went through this, you know, this that was the low of the low, and I was mad. I started, you know, I I was a Bible major. <laughs> I started throwing out, you know, theology. You books knew all the answers. I knew didn't you? all the answers, yeah. and I and I was so mad. And but I got to a place when. Where I remembered, you know, I, 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 Lord, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to be your child. And then these verses came back to me. You know, those verses that you have when you're in, when you're in a child, or a childhood. You learn them in Sunday school. You're bought with a price, and that made me mad because it meant that you know, God's still sovereign even when I don't want Him to be. And out of that lowest point, we came to the point. Well, no, you know what? God is sovereign, and I don't know what it looks like, but we've got to figure out a different way. And so we, um, we decided for, for a lot of reasons, but the primary reason was we would move, sell our home in New Jersey and go up to a rural spot in New Hampshire where I could raise sheep as a hobby, where we could start over our marriage, uh, raise the kids in an environment. And, and so from that point, and that's 30 years ago, um, the transformation began to happen and, uh, and God really moved in my life.
0: And we'll find out just how God moved in Jim Van Arpren's life coming up in a moment here on First Person. One year ago, I heard that one of FABC's radio stations was launched and aired in our province. So I started to listen. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. So many Kazakh people here like listening to your radio broadcast, and we feel like a family because of it. Thank you so much for broadcasting to our nation. You can sign up for a free online daily devotional without obligation when you visit FirstPersonInterview.com. My guest is Jim Van Iperen. Jim is with Metanoia Ministries. Metanoia is Greek for
1: change. Yeah, it means change your mind. It's the word in Scripture, the Greek word used in Scripture uh, for repent.
0: All right. And you've been doing this for 30 years.
1: 25 years. Okay. Well, I've been doing it all my life, yeah. but, <laughs> but not as an official call. Uh, I
0: understand. I want to talk about that call in just a moment, Jim. But when we left you in your story, things began to turn around for you spiritually. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, God was doing a work in my life. In fact, at the time, I had a marketing business. I was a writer. I produced uh, radio, TV, and and a lot of direct mail marketing i used to say you were you know, good at asking for money yeah I, I i used to i used to tell people i've written things you've thrown out <laughs> um uh but at any rate i was doing that it was it was a fairly successful uh business but i got i i i had a sense that god wanted me to prepare that word prepare came into my mind i didn't hear a voice audibly but it was it was clear i was to prepare and i didn't know what that meant But I could at the time reduce my clients, and so I reduced it to one client who paid me a a lot of money to do very little because I had created their their whole uh, marketing program. Mm -hmm. And so I worked for them about two days a week, and then uh, every other day of the week, I would pray, read a lot of theology, read a lot of books about business and communications and understanding and and, uh, did that for a year. And almost exactly a year later, I get a call from a church that says, hey, uh, you've been referred to us. Um, we we need someone to preach Sunday. Would you be able to come and preach? I said, sure. So I went and preached. And and uh, after the service, I said, will you come back next week? I, I learned they had just fired their pastor. <laughs> and I said, sure, I'll come back. And, and um so after uh the second time this is how you this is a sure sign of a dysfunctional church. They came to me and said, "Would you be our pastor?" Oh boy. <laughs> you must have preached some really good sermons there. No. I don't think so. I think they were desperate. But I said, "No, uh I won't be your pastor, but I'll work with you." And uh and I just during the year's time I had come to uh and do done a lot of writing about what the church is and and how it's the body of Christ, and how we've lost community, and and how we don't speak the truth and love to one another, and and all these things. Well, these you know they were great fodder for 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 sermons. So I had at least three or four more sermons in my pocket. <laughs> but I learned that uh, they needed help, and so I approached it like I would, kind of like a marketing project. I don't know what the problem is. This is a church of about five hundred people, and so I decided I'll come and I'll work three days a week for you because I had that still had that time to do it. And uh, here's, here's what I'll do. I'll interview every person in the church. And so for three months, I interviewed every person in the church and got to know a lot about the church. Asking them what? Asking them uh, about their uh, life in Christ, who they were, um, what their experience, what the joys of the church were, what were their concerns, when have they been most disappointed in the church? That's a great question because they'll tell you. And... and what happens is patterns emerge. And so I was trying to figure out why they had fired their pastor and why they were in such deep conflict because there was a lot of conflict in the church. And over three months, I heard the stories and was able, because of you know some gifts and some experience, to put the pieces together. What I learned, though, is that you can't do this alone. You have to have a team. And so I developed a process of how to train the team to do the interviews. So now what took me three months to to do in a church of five hundred, we can do in four days okay. with a team, and so. But I did that for five years, you know, bivocationally, until it came to the point of okay, now we've got to do this full time,
0: and that's. And what And now I'm, you've helped almost a hundred churches, yeah, churches. Yeah,
1: almost a hundred churches.
0: And it's, it's not a simple process. No, nor is it a painless process.
1: No, it's it's actually quite painful, uh, particularly for the people going through and. You know, it's changed a lot over the years because it, when we first started, it, I would describe it this way: it was good people doing stupid things. You know, that things they knew that they shouldn't do, but they did, and then they tried to hide it and that. Mm-hmm. You know, Wayne, we, we're working with churches now where these are some. There's some bad people doing evil things, and not in every church, of course, not in every church we serve. But the level of antagonism, the level of sin, is much deeper today than it was when we started. Mm. And that's a concern. We've been called into churches uh, with every sin you can imagine. Mm. Um, And actually, the easier churches are the one where it's so clearly wrong. Um, The more common problems like gossip and deceit and manipulation, Mm -hmm. the abuse of power that's subtle, um, those are very common. And they're they're growing deeper and deeper and more insidious in the way that people do it manipulate abuse power and then cover up
0: okay you help churches that are in conflict how do you keep uh your mind clear that this really isn't
1: the church i mean this these are you run into the bad examples yeah yeah
0: how do you, how do you keep fresh in your mind
1: well you know it's a great question because uh up until a couple of years ago it wasn't a problem at all But over the last two or three years, we've dealt with two or three churches that have just been heartbreaking. I mean, the level and the depth of abuse, of injustice is so overwhelming, so so distasteful to me. I mean, we we served a church uh, two years ago where uh, something happened that's never happened before. During the middle of the week, we had a team of about eight people. All of us were crying at a meeting because of the depth of the sin that we had uncovered, that had fallen out of the closet, and we had to deal with, and it's just, Lord, why? You know, what is going on here? Is
0: there hope that those situations can change? Um, Have you seen them change?
1: I've seen some change. Yeah, you know, in every church we've served, we've seen people who God has used something we've said or done. The lights go on. Transformation takes place. Um, And in many of the churches, there's been real change. But I have to tell you, you know, if you have an honest evaluation of all the churches we've served, very few, I think, are clearly transformed. Mm. And I think it's part of the problem that we have, you know, that— We don't really want to deal with the transformational issues. We just want the problem to go away so we can go back to doing what we were doing before.
0: We deal with a superficial top layer instead of getting to the under. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: you know, if the Smith family are the problems, let's get rid of the Smith family or Pastor Jones. just get rid of him and then we won't have a problem anymore. Well, but that's not the case because we're part of the problem. And that's trying to help people see that and grasp that is a very difficult thing.
0: We've dealt with a very heavy topic here today, and this is something you deal with all the time because you have to deal with the problems that come up in churches. Right, right. But I don't want to leave listeners with the impression that that's the you know the story of every church. It's not.
1: Right. We've we've had the opportunity to deal with many men and women who have, when confronted with an issue in their life, when that dark part of their soul is revealed, they say, "Yeah, help me." And every occasion when that happens. The grace of Christ just flows in. and They still have to go through a process, but there's freedom. There's there's forgiveness. There's new start. I'd love to tell you that every person we ever talk to, that's the choice they make. Most of them don't make the choice, and the problem is that they spin down. It gets worse, not better. But uh, our testimony is, you know, when God says, do this— or if you do this, you will be blessed. Or if you do, you know, like he says to Cain in, in chapter 4 of, of, of Genesis, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. Watch out. Hmm. Sin is crouching at your door. And that's the situation in, in a nutshell. We're dealing with sin crouching at your door. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to address it and accept the freedom that comes in Christ? Or are you going to go the way of Cain and that leads to bad things?
0: But that grace is available to should you every, choose the right.
1: There is nothing you have done or I have done or we could ever do that will separate us from the love of Christ. And so we just need to apply that and accept that and, and let the cross work in our souls. Jim
0: is right, and that truth, when understood, will change your life. You've been listening to First Person and our guest Jim VinEyperin of Metanoia Ministries. Jim has authored some helpful books including Making Peace, Overcoming Church Conflict and we'll be happy to give you a link to the book and all that Metanoia offers. You'll find it at firstpersoninterview.com in the program notes. Again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. Also at our website, you can learn more about the Far East Broadcasting Company who makes these conversations possible. FEBC would like to give you a free online devotional which often includes video testimonies of listeners around the world we're following Jesus Christ as a result of listening to FEBC broadcasts. Register for the devotional at FirstPersonInterview.com. Again, FirstPersonInterview.com. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook as well. For more, go to Facebook.com slash FirstPersonInterview. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us again next week, right here, for First Person.